content takeaways. Oh, I got my lungs back. Got my voice back. I'm so happy to talk about these games. Fantastic football. Just congratulations to the NFL. They did it again. They did it again. They did it another week. Down to the wire with these games. I mean, wow. Wow. And I have pretty much exactly 10 takeaways. Not, not many more than that. Only two games. So in this particular case, this show was designed for the conference championship round in that I do have this number of takeaways. This is the number, right? This, this, this is the number. Most of the time, I'm sitting down going, how could I ever just distill it down to 10 takeaways? So many games most weeks. Oh, man, I have 30, 40, 50 takeaways. This week, I have about 10. We're going to fire up the reveal sound effect. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. It's going to be good. The actual official number of takeaways per the name of the show will be accurate. We're actually going to do 10 takeaways, but they're all going to, I'm not just going to rapid fire it. If I rapid fired this show, it'd be a 10 minute show. No, we've got to go through and actually systematically unpack these takeaways. First and foremost, this is the first time we've had two number four seeds meet in the playoffs, but not just that, not just, oh, the first time two four seeds have met. It's the first time there's been no one, two, or three seeds. That's a takeaway. Woo! First time since the merger. Before the merger, no one was writing anything down. They always say that. The first time since the merger. Well, before the merger, there was playoffs too, wasn't there? Or, or were there not? Maybe in the chat, let me know. Maybe let me know whether or not there were playoffs pre-merger. Because... I wasn't alive back then. I wasn't paying attention to football back then. I have no idea if there were playoffs pre-merger. But if there were, then essentially this, no one was taking any records. No one was running anything down. This was a hobby for the players and the coaches. This was like rec league football back in the 40s. This was just a, a thing to do on the weekends. No one was actually doing it professionally. No one was running these things down in a place where it could be kept and stored over time. Maybe they go back, they went back to the to the the records of the games and who made the playoffs and, and what the standings were, and they look up and they're like, well, I, I can't read this. this. this These papers are all faded. We don't have the records. We don't know. If it's pre-merger, we don't know. We don't care. We have no idea. There's no computers. We don't know. But post-merger, post-merger, we know. There were no four against four. It was always a top three seed. It makes sense. It makes sense that... How could you how could you have all of the top three seeds in both conferences eliminated? Well, I, I, we just saw it. We just saw how that could happen. We just saw it. And I have a theory. I have a theory on why this happened this way. Remember, the reason why these teams were the four seed was based on their record. And what drives your record? Why did the Titans have the number one seed? Why? 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 Why did the Titans have the number one seed? Why? Why? The answer, they were playing in the AFC South. The AFC South. They were playing Jacksonville twice. They were playing the Houston Texans twice. And that helps to juice up your record, right? That's why they were the number one seed. They were a fraudulent number one seed. Completely and utterly fraudulent. Now, on the other hand, the Bengals were playing in the most competitive division in the AFC by far and away. 
the AFC North. I was like, oh, who's going to come out of the AFC North? And there's all these cold takes. Oh, uh, looking forward to the Bengals finishing last in the AFC North again. Right? Oh, let's surface these cold takes as if anybody knew they were going to the Super Bowl. Come on. The worst team in the AFC North was the Browns, and they were competing for a playoff berth until the final week. They were in contention all year. And the worst team in the NFC West, where the Rams came from, was the Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson and the Legion of... Eh. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's still a good team. Like The Seahawks were still a good team. The, the team you didn't want to face... And you could argue that the Seahawks were the most unlucky because as the worst team in the most difficult division, of course their record was not going to reflect their true quality. And this is what happened. This is exactly how it played out. Where, okay, the Packers got to play the Lions and the Bears twice. So they were the number one seed. Fraudulently. Titans. Fraud. Packers. Fraud. The difficulty of your division can help to suppress your record, especially with the Rams. The Rams beat the Buccaneers. The Rams look like one of, if not the best team in the NFC this year. Anyone that's watching football is like, this team has no weaknesses. I thought there was going to be the Rams and the Bucks were the two best all-around teams in the NFC. And I thought the Bills and the Chiefs were the best all-around teams in the AFC. And I picked, as you remember, I picked Bills Box Super Bowl. So I was wrong on uh, both counts. I didn't have either of these teams. So Bill's box verdict. <laughs> wrong answer. This wrong. Damn it. Not the right answer. Sorry, everybody. Hope you didn't place big bets based on Bill's box prediction from the pod father. I still like my prediction. I still think that the Bills could have beat the Bengals. I think that the Bucks would have beat the 49ers. And it came right down to the wire in both in both games. It could have gone either way. The wind blows a ball in a certain direction on a particular play, and, and it, it is Bill's Bucks. But it's not. It's definitely not Bill's Bucks. But that's the reason. It's, it's the difficulty of the division. So in the future, I'm going to factor that in a little bit more to my predictions. What division birthed these teams? And uh, they, they, they made it through the gauntlet. They made it through the all the way. So they were hardened. They were hardened and forged, if you will, uh, by their divisions. Rams, just every week it was the Cardinals. And, oh, we got we get a break. Get to play the Seahawks and Russell Wilson. Oh, we're right back at it with the 49ers. The Browns and Seahawks were the worst teams in their divisions, and that's, that, that's, that's partly responsible for why they're here. Is that diamonds are forged in high-pressure environments, so... There it is. And Joe Burrow had a lot of diamonds on his necklace looking just uh, I can't believe that it, it was it's cool to see when I saw Joe Burrow in his whole heading to the plane travel garb, I smiled because I was like, wow, the 90s are coming back. The 90s are coming back. I remember when the 70s came back. Bell bottoms are back Remember the, the 80s came back. But I was like, wait, we're, it's already here. The 90s is now retro cool? I guess so. Look at those sunglasses. Those sunglasses are right out of the 90s. That whole, whole everything. The turtleneck. Go watch Friends. I mean, Joe Burrow stole Joey's closet, his entire wardrobe, which is great. It's great for me when I was in my prime. So I, you know, I, you know, I'm very old. 
So I, I, feel, I felt great about it. I was like, whoa, this is great news. Thank you for delivering this news that the 90s are back, Joe. That's a takeaway. 90s are back. And Joe is cool. He's Joe cool. And Samaj P. Ryan truthers were redeemed. Because remember, Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon both played together at Oklahoma. And Samaj P. Ryan was the, the thunder. Mixon was the lightning. It's amazing to think of a 228-pound running back being the lightning. But that's why he's so good now. Because he was 228 pounds, an incredible size-adjusted athlete. And he was a satellite back in college. So if you can find that guy, he's so rare. He's so rare. But when you find him, you want him in fantasy football. That's Joe Mixon. And there, there were some that had Samaj P. Ryan ranked ahead of Mixon. Said, hey, P. Ryan's a better player. This guy can break tackles. He's better at breaking tackles. Look at him. Trucking defenders up the middle. Right? So just it's a reminder. Some people, won't mention who they are, had P. Ryan ranked ahead of Mixon for all the reasons we lament every year. Why these grinders get pushed ahead of the pass-catching running backs. But when you watched Samaj Piran, you're like, hey, I guess this is why. I guess this is this this is redemptive for these individuals that had Piran ranked higher. He looked explosive. Balls in his hands. He's breaking tackles. Sure, defenders had bad angles. A couple defenders just didn't look like they wanted to be there. Weren't even running at full speed. And that happens from play to play. And that's why you can't let a single play, single screenplay touchdown from Piran determine your assessment of that player's quality. That's a takeaway. Oh, baby. We're taking, we're taking off and taking away. Jamar Chase is a beast. He's a beast. And, and I say he's a beast because he's a beast after the catch. He doesn't give up. Like, he doesn't give up. He wants to get every single yard. He's not that big, but he's just a bulldog. He's a bulldog. When he gets the ball in his hand, he just wants to get those extra yards. He's taking the contact. Huge players are jumping on top of him. I'm like, oh, man, did he – I hope he didn't sprain his shoulder. Like, the way he, they, the defenders came down, crushed his shoulder into the ground. I was like, man, Jamar Chase will likely make it out of this season healthy or at least not injured, right? He'll, I'm sure he'll feel bruised and banged and aching all over after the season. But he's likely to make it out of the season injury-free. And my hope is that he learns to – not necessarily put his body in harm's way to the same extent he did this year, especially this year in the playoffs. I understand that that's just how he's wired, and that's why you want wide receivers that have that that determination on any given play. You never see him taking a playoff. It's amazing. Amazing. For a guy that was this super producer at the college level and then a top five pick, those guys tend to take a playoff here and there because they're like, hey, I'm great. I think I'm great, and then the NFL validated that I'm great, so I'm great. So do I really need to do all these little things that the Tyler Boyds are doing? In Jamar Chase's case, he says yes. And what I would like him to say is, maybe not today. Maybe not today. I don't necessarily need to turn up field here and put my shoulder down. I can just, I can just step out of bounds. Tyreek Hill is the best at this He is the, because he's smaller, and he knows how valuable he is. Well, Jamar Chase is as valuable to this team as Tyreek Hill is to the Kansas City Chiefs, and he needs to start doing that. He needs to start just sidestepping out of bounds. That extra yard isn't worth him separating a shoulder over or breaking his ribs. It's not worth it. He needs to knock it off. I mean, do it this year when you're young, you're 21, and 
You're, you know, full of Skittles and, you know, fun things that you eat and whatever when it doesn't matter. But next year, please, Jamar, can you not do that? Can you just maybe once in a while just go down a yard short of where you... If it is a first down, okay. If it's a first down marker, you go for it. But if it's not the difference between... You know, the first down or not a first down, just just go ahead and, and and hit the ground on your own. You don't need to always have the full weight of the defender smashing into you and pancaking you every time. I want him healthy. Let's take care of him. There's a reason why Tyreek Hill's been largely healthy his entire career, because he's been knowing when to hold him and knowing to fold him on the football field. Jamar Chase has to learn that. And we've learned over the years that explosiveness matters most at tight end. And you saw it perfectly with the dichotomy of C.J. Uzoma, who is a critical piece of this offense, and Drew Sample. And so Uzoma has the sprained knee. He's not going to be 100% for the Super Bowl. He's probably, my guess is he's going to shoot it up with Toradol, going to try to play on it, not be 100%, not be overly productive, take the under on him in the Super Bowl. He's not going to be 100%. And then he's going to have to have surgery in the offseason, probably because he's going to play on it in the Super Bowl. But it's the Super Bowl. You understand why he's going to try to get it, get himself ready. He, he tweeted this out. I'm getting myself ready. And I know what that means. We all know what that means. That means, give me the needle, Doc. So they're going to do that. And he's going to play. They will benefit from having him out there. Because you saw Drew Sample, the plotting Drew Sample, the blocking tight end. He one catch for four yards. And he played the majority of the game as the starting tight end. Uzoma went out early. It was a great example. Oh, it might get some sample production. Slow down. And uh, Josh Larkey made a bunch of money on the underdog pickums. Underdogfantasy.com. You can start doing basketball. There's all these sports now on underdog. It's amazing. Promo code underworld. The pickums are the best. We've been hammering you on this. Now, most people lose money on the pickums. Across all platforms, most people lose money. Otherwise, how could the platform stay in business? Think about it, right? If more people made money than lost money, the platforms would all go bankrupt. But just like DFS, if you use the proper tactics week in, week out, you can make money. And Josh Larkey is using DFS tactics for pickums. He's correlating his five-pack. So the beauty of the five-pack is it pays off at 20x. And you almost always lose. But these parlays allow you to correlate your lineup. So here's a correlated lineup that hit for Josh. He just said, I believe that this game is going to go under. And it did. Both games went under on their just overall point totals. So they both missed the totals. And so if they're going to miss the totals, then most of the skill position players are going to go under. So he went under Tyree Kill, 78.5 receiving yards, under Chase, longest reception, under Patrick Mahomes, under Burrow, they were both in the 290 passing yards range. And under Tyler Boyd, 39.5 receiving yards. That was an easy one. And that hit. And then he also hit on Jamar Chase, under Burrow, under Patrick Mahomes, under Tyreek Hill, under. But the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire over. So that's a different scenario. That's the scenario where the Chiefs get up to a lead and they're running the ball in the second half, which is what they did, right? So he... He bet these two scenarios, one where the game just goes under and all these players underperform, and then the, the scenario where the game goes under, but the Chiefs have a big lead at the half, 
And that happened. And that's why both of those five packs paid off on Underdog Fantasy. Underdogfantasy.com, promo code Underworld. And what was funny is like, oh, yes, he created a correlated lineup. And the only way that correlated lineup hits is if the game plays out in a certain way. And it did play out in that way. And it did hit. But he still got lucky in that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire hit the over by a half yard. Right, He had 36 rushing yards. It was 35 and a half. So you still need a little bit of luck sprinkled in. A little bit of luck sprinkled in, as you always do. In DFS, same thing. But the process is such that if you correlate lineups, these five packs of pickums on underdog, you can make money. Like that is, that is the best way to make money with pickums is that particular approach. And Josh will publish his lineups. He publishes his slips. Follow him at JLarkyTweets. It, it'll be uh, well worth your time and money to go follow that man. He knows what he's doing. He has a great process. Over Edward Solaire was the reason why. The, the .5 rushing yards. Man, I was just like, this is great. This is so great. In a game where Edward Solaire was dominated by Jarek McKinnon. And Edward Solaire. Good luck. Good luck figuring out what he's going to be the rest of his career because we have these running backs that are drafted in the first round, whether it be Sony Michelle, Rashad Penny. They don't actually break out until year four or five. And you're like, I guess I just needed to hold on to the original scouting report. But man, it was a lot of years that I had to hold on to this guy and be a truther in Dynasty. And all these other running backs on the Kansas City roster are going to be free agents. So it's going to be the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire show again unless they go out and sign a free agent running back, which they very well could, or draft a running back on day one or two, which they very well could. Because they clearly don't want Edwards-Hilaire out there. They'd rather have McKinnon. This was a game in which the Chiefs were up double digits at the half and still, and still, McKinnon, the satellite back, outperformed Edward Solaire. This is a bad sign for him. It's a bad sign, but we don't know what to do. What are they going to do in the offseason? He doesn't look bad. Like when they give him the ball, he looks fine. He's fine. He's fine. And he's the only starting running back on the roster as of, you know, March 1. What are you going to do? What, what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know. Good luck projecting him for 2022. Good luck figuring out what he's worth in Dynasty, that's the shoulder shrug of all players in fantasy football. What the hell is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire worth in fantasy football? Oh, in Dynasty? Forget it. No idea. That's a takeaway. have no idea. Trey Lance. Trey Lance. Trey Lance. Trey Lance is going to be a thing next year in a big, big way. First of all, he's going to have one of the best supporting casts because Jimmy Garoppolo did finish number one in a metric. So we have data analysis, playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis, and you can look up all the metrics and you can see the full list of who ranks where in every metric you've ever thought of. And we're adding even more this year, writing a whole bunch of new metrics, a whole new set of advanced wide receiver metrics based on the cornerbacks they're facing and man versus zone coverage and a whole bunch of advanced accuracy metrics for quarterbacks and those are all going to be available in data analysis we're going to open up college stats and data analysis we're working overtime and it's a joke 
It's an absolute joke what it costs. 45 bucks. It's a joke. It's a joke. But we do it because, you know, I love you. That's why. I care about you. That's why. That's why it's so cheap. So you're on data analysis. You're like, hey, I wonder what quarterbacks, wide receivers are best at getting separation and best at contested catches. Turns out Jimmy Garoppolo's number one in receiver yards after the catch per target, right? So on a per-target basis, and it's it's a wide margin, the Debo, IU, Kittle after the catch versus every other you know wide receiver core, receiving core in the league. It's not even close. It's not even close. And we published this on the Roto Underworld Twitter account at Roto Underworld. And I saw that and I was like, wow, this is a this is a Trey Lance tweet. This Trey Lance should be liking this. If he, if Trey Lance hasn't liked that tweet yet, he should be. Because he's going to be the starting quarterback next year. And he's going to have one of the best supporting casts, especially for his skill set, in that he's not going to have huge volume. That's just not the 49ers. They want to run the ball and they're going to have design runs for Trey Lance to further siphon pass attempts out of that offense. So what do you do? Well, your wide receivers need to be super efficient if you're going to have less pass volume. And then you need to go ahead and and rack up yards and touchdowns on the ground with your legs. And he's going to do all those things. It's going to be the perfect thing. It's going to be just ideal, right? This is the, this is the receiving core that Lamar Jackson wishes he had. This is the receiving core that they've tried to build for Josh Allen. Right, yards after the catch from Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley and, and Stephon Diggs. Great separators with yards after the catch ability. Dawson Knox has some similarities to George Kittle, understood. But this, this is the real thing. Everyone else is just trying to do an impersonation, an impression of this San Francisco 49ers passing game. They're the real thing. And Trey Lance is for real. Right? The last time we saw Trey Lance starting a game was against the Houston Texans, an underrated defense. completion percentage, more than 10 yards an attempt, and he added that 30 rushing yards. And it's amazing to me that you could watch him perform well and not change your mind on who the starting quarterback should be. It shouldn't be Jimmy Garoppolo. Why? Just why? Why Jimmy Garoppolo? This guy was throwing for less than 150 yards a game in the playoffs during his career. This guy has a 2 to 5 touchdown interception ratio in the playoffs in his career. Kyle Shanahan has to know what he has. Not only does he see the stats, he sees these guys in practice. I don't understand. I don't understand how you let Jimmy be your quarterback. He didn't do a damn thing to help you win any of these games. And the game where you needed him, in the moment when you needed him, at the end of the game in the fourth quarter, he looked incompetent. It was just a flaming bag of dog shit. Like you take a paper bag, you fill it with dog shit, you get a lighter, you light it, and you just throw it in the middle of the street. And that was Jimmy Garoppolo. Why? Why did you need Trey Lance? And you had to know this. This is the thing that gets me. It's like, oh, Kyle Shanahan does it again. Takes an underrated team and and, and gets them to the conference championship. A few other coaches could have done this. Really? That defense has one of the best front sevens, and they have a great offensive line and the best skill position players in their receiving core, and you actually have a difference-making quarterback on the roster, you're just choosing not to play him. They cost themselves a Super Bowl berth by not playing Trey Lance. They win that game if they play Trey Lance.
They win that game if they play Trey Lance. They win that game if they play Trey Lance. It's unfalsifiable hypothetical. I get it. It's a rhetorical trick. It's what I'm great at. It's my specialty. But I believe it. I believe it. We tell these coaches all the time to stop with the veteran deference when there's a clear differential between the talent of the two players. Okay, so you trust Jimmy Garoppolo to not turn the ball over in a particular situation more than you do Trey Lance, but do you even? All Jimmy Garoppolo's been doing his career is turning the ball over in those situations. Why would you trust him more than the unknown? It's like the fear of the unknown just grips these coaches. They all operate in a state of fear at all times. They just can't get past it. And then what do you do when you're when you're fearful? You just you, you fall back on what you know. Oh, the veteran. Oh, he got us here. Fuck, he got us here. It was so daring. It was so forward thinking and, and, and innovative and 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 it just showed incredible leadership when Bill Belichick decides that he's going to stick with Tom Brady even though Drew Bledsoe got him there right Drew Bledsoe's the entrenched starter the veteran and yet no we're going to go with the young kid from Michigan a late round pick over an established quarterback in Drew Bledsoe Jimmy Garoppolo's not an all pro quarterback and Trey Lance was the number three overall pick that wasn't nearly as brave and courageous as Bill Belichick starting Tom Brady, but Bill Belichick, he has that thing. If you had to, to point to a particular trait that Bill Belichick has that makes him special, it's that he doesn't care what the media thinks, what anyone thinks. He doesn't care. He is a cool, cold, clinical assessor of his player personnel. Just give me the guy that gives me the best chance to win. I don't care when he was drafted. I don't care about anything that you people think is important. And Kyle Shanahan had an opportunity to be courageous and do the right thing for his team. Give his team the best chance to win because what do you need against a front seven like the Rams? Escapability. Another great front seven is in Kansas City, right? You have Frank Clark. You have Chris Jones. You have Melvin Ingram on those blitz up the middles. What do you do? Well, you need escapability. You saw time and time again, Josh Allen just operating as a magician back there, just shifting his body weight, moving his hips around, dancing around these guys, sliding past him, stiff arming him, backpedaling, getting the hell out of there, and then off balance, having the arm strength to deliver the ball where it needed to be downfield. Well, th that's the reason you went out and drafted Trey Lance, because he has those skills, in particular against this front seven. Where if you're going to get just absorbed by the defense, the defensive line in particular, at the end of the game, and you're backpedaling, you really want Trey Lance back there who can backpedal and then he can shift his body weight and he can slide and then he can throw the ball on the run. Jimmy Garoppolo could do none of those things. It's just sack. It's just throw the ball up, intercepted. I'm not even a San Francisco 49ers fan. I like seeing the Rams in the Super Bowl. I wanted to see the Rams in the Super Bowl. But it was a damn shame seeing the 49ers get this close and the quarterback being the difference. Knowing they had Trey Lance all along, ready to go, looking good, fully ramped up, acclimated, everything, just all systems, green light, let's do it. No, no, no. You have so few opportunities to make the Super Bowl. One out of 16 chance every year, all else equal.
and you're not going to push all your chips in. You're, you're going to keep one back. It's just silly. It's, it was frustrating to see that when you're like, oh, man, I, I know Trey Lance would have escaped here and given them a chance to, to extend that play. Bullshit. Shanahan, though, right? Shanahan, Shanahan will be lauded in hindsight for getting this team this far. And as you know, I don't agree. I don't agree with that the celebration and the coronation of Kyle Shanahan. Star Trey Lance, bro. But now, 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 the silver lining is there's no doubt, right? There's no doubt. After watching Jimmy Garoppolo flame out in the biggest moment, in the biggest possible way, now there's no doubt he's gone. Like, he is gone. It is the Trey Lance era. Wherever he's going, in whatever draft, dynasty, super flex, best ball, seasonal leagues, it's too late. You think about that guy with that skill set and then these receivers, you don't have to be a genius. He could look a lot like Josh Allen earlier than Josh Allen looked like Josh Allen in his career trajectory. And I think Jimmy's going to Denver. That's where he's going. He's going to Denver. Cool, right? You can go to Denver and uh, be Jimmy Garoppolo in Denver, and maybe they finish, oh, uh, nine and eight. Great. Cool. That's where he's, I think that odds are Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay, right? The moving teams, changing teams, switching teams is always less likely than just staying where you are because there's a lot of energy required. Like there's some law of motion or something about the energy needed to change vector. I don't know. It is some law of motion that justifies why the steady state of staying in Green Bay is more likely than him landing in any given team. So the probability that Aaron Rodgers plays on any team but Green Bay is likely less than 50%. And the probability that that team happens to be Denver is much more likely Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay than he is in Denver. And then Denver's going to really need a quarterback more than almost anybody. Tampa, Denver, Pittsburgh, they're going to be bidding on Jimmy Garoppolo's services. There could be a Jimmy Garoppolo bidding war and It'll just make me sick. Should make all of you sick if there's Jimmy Garoppolo bidding war breaks out. Ugh. Because I like Mitchell Trubisky better than Garoppolo. Trubisky was great in the preseason. We've never seen him on a team with great weapons and an above-average supporting cast. We've never seen it. Didn't see it in Chicago. Jimmy Garoppolo's second-round pick. Trubisky, second overall pick. He was drafted before Mahomes and Watson, and he has that escapability. Why not? Trubisky and Mariota should command bigger contracts in free agency than Jimmy Garoppolo. But that's not what we're going to see. We're already past 10 takeaways. I I can't believe it. I'm over-delivering again. Under-promising, over-delivering again. 60% target share. 60% target share for Odell Beckham and Cooper Cup. Target consolidation at its finest. And both of these wide receivers are going to be 29. I want to see them run it back. they got to run this thing back. Beckham and Cup, Cup and Beckham, run it back. Please run it back. And Beckham was equally as efficient as Cooper Cup. He just didn't get the touchdowns. But he has been scoring a lot more touchdowns in L.A. than he's been scoring or was scoring in Cleveland. These are both incredible separators. Anytime you can have a, a quarterback with Matt Stafford's arm strength, and downfield accuracy, be blessed with two of the great separators in this league 
who are also strong at the catch point, it, it borders on unfair. And we'll see. We'll see if the Bengals can can figure out some somehow some way to stop it. They did. They stopped Patrick Mahomes, didn't they? First half, Patrick Mahomes had a perfect passer rating, 150 passer rating. Patrick Mahomes' passer rating in the second half was zero. Zero. Now, Joe Burrow, very cool, great guy, but that defense was the reason why they won, not Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow played great, but the defense is the reason why they won. Will they be able to also now suppress the production in the second half of Cup and Beckham? I think it's harder to stop Beckham and Cup than it is Hill and Kelsey. Kelsey's a tight end. He was incredibly efficient. What, 10 for 11? Over 100 yards? It's just every week you just you marvel at Travis Kelsey in his early 30s, what he's able to do, how efficient he is. It, it, they, they need to study him. Science needs to study Travis Kelsey. And Tyreek Hill is an incredible downfield playmaker. So they are very different. It's very like a, The best tight end and the best field stretcher compared to the best wide receiver duo specializing in separation and squeezing the football in traffic and just catch radius conversion of passes in these wide receivers vicinity two completely different sets of receivers i think the rams duo will give cincinnati more problems because you can't just bracket them you no one's figured it out yet right the 49ers did the best they could did a great job but you look up and you have Cup with 142 yards and Beckham with 113 yards, and they were both incredibly efficient. Just throw to those guys. Just throw. The Rams did the 49ers such a service by running the ball, by running Sony Michelle 10 times for 16 yards. Knock it off. Knock it off. They got away with it. They got away with 10 inefficient Sony Michelle carries. But shame on Sean McVay for those 10 Sony Michelle carries. They should have been cut in half. So, the game goes way under, partially because Shanahan fucked up starting Garoppolo over Trey Lance, and McVay fucked up running too much. When, you're, when your offense is clicking and your top two receivers can't be stopped, uh, in, in, in what world does it make sense to give your running backs 23 carries in a competitive game where you're down at the half? You're down at the half. You're down 17-7 in the third quarter. And you're wasting whole possessions because you can't stop running the ball, man. Knock it off. So that's the path to victory. The Rams can just focus on throwing the ball to Cup and Beckham. And because you have two of these guys, a defense can't scheme to stop both of them. They can only scheme to stop one, not both. So I props to the Bengals for finding a way to completely take away Patrick Mahomes, shut him completely down in the second half. I mean, bravo. I would not hire a defensive coordinator to be my head coach, but the defensive coordinator who should be discussed as a head coaching candidate is the defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. Lou Anarumo. Lou Anarumo. Everybody give it up for Lou Anarumo. The defensive players, in conjunction with Lou Anarumo, won that game. But I do not think they'll be able to stop this this Beckham Cup duo. I don't. I don't see it. I'm picking the Rams, so that means that the Bengals will win 
based on my picks previously. As long as Sean McVay stops handing it off, just let it go, Sean. Let it go. Stop handing it off. Throw it a cup and Beckham on a loop. Just 80% target share to Beckham and Cup, Cup and Beckham, Beckham and Cup, Cup and Beckham. Rams win the Super Bowl. I will take some questions in overtime. Almost shut the show down. I was so close. I was so close to shutting the show down. And I said, you know what? I always forget. And I'm not going to forget this time to take some questions from the audience. Couple questions. Just a couple questions. Hit me. Hit me. Joey two times writes, I wonder how many times Andy Reid thought about how he passed on T Higgins for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. That's right. If they had T Higgins... In the Byron Pringle role, I guarantee that would have been too much for even Lou Anarumo to handle Chiefs win. They just pick Higgins, they pick Pittman over Edward Solaire, they win the game. That was the difference. That's a great takeaway. That's a new that's another takeaway. That's an outtakes takeaway. No way you stop that. Higgins is out there. I like Pringle, but come on. Is T. Higgins a top five dynasty wide receiver now? I think he's been that. Hasn't he been that? Oh, no. We have him at wide receiver seven, eight. He'll move up. He'll move up. Wide receiver six, probably. Will he move up ahead of CeeDee Lamb? That's a good question. I don't think you can take him ahead of Debo. It'll be interesting. Next year, we could see it happening, what we've seen this trend in the second half in the 49ers where Ayuk out-targets Debo, but Debo scores more fantasy points. Debo's ability to score fantasy points on the run game is so special, and he's still young. He's only 26 years old. He just turned 26, so he has his age 26, age 27, age 28 season still ahead of him. I prefer Debo to Higgins. Higgins is more volatile and doesn't quite have that Debo ceiling either. So I don't see how you could put Higgins in the top five. But, uh, you know, if we're, if we're we're arguing, we could argue over the, the six slot or the seven slot. Last question. Does Kittle's stock go up with Lance? No, no. In fact, Kittle has come down. Kittle spent a week or two at the top of the dynasty rankings, and then he's come down to tight end three because they're going to pull targets out of this offense. At the end of the day, that's what's most important is that the targets are going to are going to be siphoned over to the quarterback designed runs. You know what's going to happen. These these NFL coordinators are addicted to these designed runs, these low upside quarterback designed runs. They're going to do it with Trey Lance. That's the reason why they drafted him. And that's why we love Trey Lance so much. But it doesn't help George Kittle to be the third read in an offense captained by a quarterback that is tempted to pull it down and run on any given play and tempts the offensive coordinator to call these designed runs, and you have all these games where there's just fewer than 30 pass attempts, and it, it makes it much harder for Kittle to get there. See, that's the difference. Mark Andrews isn't competing with Debo and Ayuk. He's competing with Marquise Brown and, and Bateman. He's really the number two receiver there, because Marquise Brown's not good. Where Kittle, as the number three, right, that, that 
that that's where the math changes. That's why Andrews is is in a tier above Kittle in Dynasty. It's the age difference. There's two years of age difference, and it's you know where they stack up on the on the the target hierarchy. So great questions. Whew. 2022 off season's almost here. So fire up those uh, dynasty teams and uh, start trading. Start uh, evaluating your, your the rookie class. It's uh, it's a fun time. And this was the final takeaway show of the year. If you like this show, if you like all the free content on PlayerProfiler.com, and you want to make sure the good times keep on rolling, subscribe to any of our premium tools: seasonal leaguers, the draft kit, DFS grinders, the DFS dominator, and all you dynasty heads, the dynasty deluxe package. That's what keeps Player Profiler going. Beckham and Cup, Cup and Beckham, Beckham and Cup, Cup and Beckham.